श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए गोर भक्तवृंद की जाए ग्रंथराज श्रीमद् भागवतम की जाए गोर परमानंदे मॉर्निंग एवरीवन सो डिस्कसिंग श्रीमद् भागवतम फर्स्ट वर्स वी हैड अ नाइस एक्सप्लेनेशन ऑफ ओम यस्टरडे मॉर्निंग and um we cited the puranas without citing the text itself but the uh research of the goswamis paraphrasing with regards to the name vasudevaya vasudevaya ostensibly means the son of vasudev that is krishna but apparently in the puranas it is also said that maybe putna prana vasudev is another name for nanda maharaj so godius will be quick to pick up on this emphasize this point because really their object of love is krishna son of nanda more than krishna son of vasudev and devaki do you follow and then of course we discussed a little bit satyam param dimahi that in relation to om as much as om is a is a yes from the absolute an answer to what then as we described the question in human society as to can we be more than what it appears are we more than the less we may appear to be in the face of material nature it said that young people if they write and speak they speak about changing the world and old people speak about how the world has changed them and you may know i'm still young in that regard but this is what i was talking about we feel as a self this is consciousness feeling itself in human life as it does in other forms of life that we are more than matter that the limitations of matter should not pertain to us so we want to change the world we want to transcend the world really but we don't know that that's the that's possible how to go about that going about it in a conquering way becomes problematic rather than in the way mentioned here in the bhagavatam dimahi go inward go backward through meditation humbly approach the nature of being and he will embrace you and bring you to his bosom and the influence of material nature will have no no bearing on you and we we have nice examples also in our sampradaya prime example being of chaitanya mahaprabhu himself and we hold this up to people and say we are we are a relevant uh voice we have something to add in the contemporary society in the discussions as to the nature of consciousness the nature of the world and from there we went to its origins janma dyasyataha here the bhagavatam echoing the uh, first verse of the vedanta sutra there's a preface to that first verse atato brahma jignasu now is the time to inquire 
Bhav Brahman Satyam Param he is the answer here in Bhagavatam the last phrase of this line in other words how to inquire about Brahman how to inquire about the Absolute hmm. this is the way through meditation and Janma Dhyasya then echoes this way I guess you could say the second aphorism of the sutras here in Bhagavatam and it tells us something about the nature of Brahman so from that even we can say that although Brahman is beyond words, words are not futile in attempting to speak about him. And if we did not use words to do so, then and get some kind of conceptual thereby orientation, it would be difficult to, for us to foster the kind of meditation, the abhideya, the means, the bhakti, that will deliver the results. So, at any point, we are to meditate upon the Supreme Absolute Truth, and it's like this. Now, that Satyam Param means Suruplakshan of, of the Absolute. He's, we are also Satyam, Truth. Truth means, in this sense, something that, that which endures. So, that which doesn't endure, we consider it false. In other words, it's like here today and gone tomorrow. So it is with all material things. We cannot take them to the bank. We cannot bet on them. We cannot rely upon them. They're counterfeit. They give us no power to purchase property in a land where there's no death, in the homeland of the self. So we are satyam. That self is satyam. But Krishna is, Krishna is the absolute Brahman is satyam param. And therefore, the difference, which shows up very clearly in the um, face of our conditioning. We are truth, but we tend to think ourselves. We identify ourselves with ignorance, with the changing forms of material nature. We identify with them. And to the extent that we do, almost we become like matter. The more we do, the more our will is obscured, the more deterministic our life becomes, the less that means to say that the soul is uh, able to express itself, a unit of freedom, a unit of truth. But again, because we find very clearly that that unit of truth has the potential to become obscured as to its own uh, nature, to be covered, how can it be covered? You may ask this question, how can consciousness be covered? I mean, it's how can light be covered? Even if it's covered, it's going to be, there's going to be light inside the covering. That's true. <laughs> but no one else will see it. This is the idea. And the covering is ignorance. It's attachment. So we can understand that consciousness has its ability to extend itself, as I've said before, into things, as it does within our body. It's, it's animating it. And that extension into matter that it then becomes identified with, attached to, is what we call ignorance, it's what we call the covering. It's a covering, it's very clear, because we, as I've said before, we extend ourselves into things, and those things then have meaning to us, but we don't stop to think that the reason that they have meaning to us is because what? Because I'm in them. So I must be what is important, what is valuable. 
not the thing. Because as soon as I withdraw from the thing, and it's no longer mine, I no longer extend myself into an object, I withdraw from it, then it has no meaning for me. So it's I that has meaning, the self that has meaning. But it's difficult for us to trace that out. So, such is our condition. So we're satyam, but in a qualified sense, and Krishna is satyam param, unqualified truth. We have desire, we have will, but it's minute. And in order for it to be accomplished or fulfilled, there are a number of factors that must be in place. And what is the primary factor? The sanction of the satyam param, whose will is a fact. If Brahman wills, then it, it, it is. This is how we would like to be. <laughs> and this is how we can be, is the message of the Bhagavad, with its affirmation, affirmation at its onset with a big Om. Yes, you can be what you feel. You, you can conquer nature. It's possible. You can rise above it. So how, how can we be such that whatever we want will be ours. Uh, this, this is by making our will one with Krishna. In other words, if we identify with Krishna, then whatever happens, which is his will, we're fine with that. <laughs> Something like that. So then some description of him is required that will help us get a conceptual orientation as to what to meditate upon. That from whom Janmadi Asya Yataha that from whom the implication is the world comes into being, the world of our experience. So that's a big subject, how the world of our experience comes into being. Many philosophers thinking about that. Science has its opinions and so forth. Um, basically ours is that it has a conscious source and that that consciousness is transcendent to to the world which is its effect it's transcendent to its effect but at the same time as I said the other day Ours is uh, somewhat of a pan-antheistic uh, theology. And that means that, as opposed to just a pantheistic ideology, in which the world is God. Pan-theistic. Everything is God. Everything is God, and God is above everything. So, uh, this is kind of the one and the different simultaneous idea. And Bhagavatam speaks about it here when it says, Itaratas cha, Anbayad Itaratas cha. And these, uh, these words have been um, explained by previous acharyas in many different ways, but um, with regard to the panentheistic or the pantheistic aspect of the theology, 
is often explained. Anvayad means that the Lord or Bhagwan or let's say Brahman as the cause is found in the effect and therefore in that sense he is non different from the effect. He is the material cause. He is the earth and he is the pot. It takes earth to make a pot, an earthen pot anyway. This is the old, you know, pots used to be made of earth, clay. So it takes earth to make a pot. He is the earth. He is the pot. He is the material ingredient. Unbiad. Itaratas. He's the pot. He's the earth. Unbiad. Itarata. And cha. Um, cha means then, in that particular interpretation, it means that he's the material cause and he is the Someone may say the time is the efficient cause, like the the the, the what do you call the uh, the potter? There's the earth, there's the pot, there's the potter. So the potter is the efficient cause. These terms are also used in the doctrines of Thomas Aquinas, I think. Hmm? Aristotle. Aristotle also. Okay, so. I mean, there are Western terms. I don't know how to say them in Sanskrit. I guess we're saying it here in Sanskrit. And, well, many meanings can be drawn from these two words. But at any rate, itarata, anvayad, itarata, like directly and indirectly. That's how Prabhupada has translated it. So directly and indirectly means the, 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 the material cause as the pot and the earth and cha. At least Vishwan Chakpuritakura said means that he has time also, which sometimes people say is, you know, is the, the hand of God or the hand of time. It's uh, the elusive dimension, I guess. Do they consider it a dimension? What are, what are the, are there four dimensions? What are they? Hmm? Time would be the fourth. So what are the other three? Space? And then time. So, we have some idea about time, but it does seem hard to get a grip on for, isn't it? So, Lord becomes the time, and He is the efficient cause. Janma cha, or, and also means to to inclusive, so it has also been explained that, that he is the Janma, the source of the world, Janma means birth, and Adi, etc., and Adi means, etc., means also the, the winding up of the world, the including the world back within itself. So we have this kind of an idea about the world, that it expands out from Brahman and it comes back in and that this has, has been compared to what? His breathing. Which means that as much as Brahman is alive and that's pretty live, then this is going on. There's no beginning to that. God has no beginning and the world has beginnings and ends, beginnings and ends with no beginning to such cycles. Now I said this the other day. It came up briefly in London, but 
here again is another example of something that is found throughout the scriptures. It's very interesting, and I emphasize it only because there's so much confusion on the issue. And what is that? That the world, and the world means matter, and it also means us, right? It's the, it's the combination of the two. Where does it come from? It comes from Brahman. It comes from that we know. This here, we're giving a very general explanation of the text, but we know, for example, that the book in speaking about Brahman is ultimately about Krishna. But is Krishna the source of the world? Yes and no. Right? In Bhagavad Gita, he says that he is the seed-giving father. He impregnates the material nature, the womb of material nature, with consciousness, and the world comes into being. So, everyone comes from Krishna, right? In this world. Yes and no. The person of Mahavishnu is the manifestation of Krishna that desires to become many, glances on material nature, so more literally, when we say that Brahman is the source of the world, we're really speaking about Brahman, the Absolute, here. Satyam Param means ultimately Krishna. But in his form as Mahavishnu, is the source of the world. So the jivas in this world, they're coming from the Mahavishnu. I mean, this is written everywhere, isn't it? In the Upanishads, the Brahma Samhita, the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavatam, and many, many devotees have, have read it. They have not stopped to think about it. A prominent, very prominent, uh, in fact, teacher in, in another institution wrote to me about this recently. He cited some verses from the Bhagavatam, two verses from the fourth canto, in which the allegorical story of King Puranjan, the enjoyer, is described. And at one point in that story, the, there is a, a, a Brahman appears who represents the Godhead. And he speaks, that, why have you left me? When will you come back? And so on and so forth. So he said, this is, do you know any other references in the Bhagavatam to further support, as these verses do, the idea that we that we all fell from Goloka. That's where we came from. So I had to be quick to tell him, well, that's not what these verses are saying to begin with. And it would do well to, you know, to verify that by reading the commentaries on them. I cited the commentaries of Jiva Basami, Vishnu Chakrati Thakur, and so forth all of whom make very clear in their commentaries that um, this uh, Brahman speaking is the Mahavishnu speaking, who's the kind of the, 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 well, the source of the jivas in this world, or his Shristi-lila and so forth. I mean, they do it as clearly as I could expect them to, by way of saying this is talking about the Mahapralai and, and the return and... and words like that, and he questioned me on those things for a while, and I said, and I had to show, this is what these things mean everywhere, and you know, everywhere in the scriptures. 
So then um, he was a bit obstinate, and he said, and then I cited the Brahma Samhita to him and other other places and so forth and so on. I said, this is the source of the jivas of this world. And um, and then he said, but, I just want to show you how foolish this is, in my opinion. He said that, uh, but that doesn't, but it, yes, the script, he said, finally said, yes, you're right, okay, you're right. The, the scriptures do say that the jiva emanates from the Mahavishnu into this world, but that does not mean that there wasn't a prior situation that the jiva was in. Prior to that, in other words, prior to that, he could have been with Krishna, Krishna Leela. So I read to him, wrote to him back and I said, I said, Maharaj, if someone asks you, what's the source of the jivas, uh, where, where, where do we, we who are in this world come from? The concept of the conditioned soul, the Badajiv. Where does the Badajiv come from? And so you appropriately say to him, well, according to the scriptures, it is clearly mentioned everywhere that the jivas in this world come from Mahavishnu. However, there might be another place that they were before that, but there's no scriptural references to support it. <laughs> I said, your, your explanation is, is, uh, would be a bit strange. Think about it. I think we were trained to like take the scriptural ideas and go with that and, and let uh, our explanations uh, be supported by them and so forth. But um, I think I had good effect on him, but he ostensibly remained slightly obstinate. So this is where, and of course, the problem is that is that we, well, to be fair, that, that Prabhupada, who's his guru and mine, spoke about it in ways that it could be thought that that was the philosophy at times. Of course, he spoke about it the opposite way as well. So it's our duty to. Look at both things when an acharya speaks like this that, that are contradictory, and then make a resolution as to which one represents the shastra and postulate as to why he might have said the other thing in a given instance, what he might have had as a purpose for that, and so forth. And so, so to bring him anyway in harmony with the shastra, we'll take the statements that he made that conform with the teaching of the previous acharyas and shastra as uh, him speaking the Siddhanta and reason that perhaps he had other reasons at times to speak about origins in different ways, which often people do. When you first asked your mother and father, where did you come from? They might have said, oh, a big bird came and put you in the chimney. And one morning we woke up and there you were. So everybody's not ready to understand everything all at once. We give the give this explanation piecemeal, and this is a very significant point with regard to this this topic because we see people have trouble with it. We all it's very interesting. We also see to what extent often we have a Western cultural bias. I mean, we have a Western birth and a Western psychology, and the Western world has been so strongly influenced by Christianity. It's uh, it's no wonder that people uh, result, re- rebel to an extent. It's had a huge impact on, on the society, the way people think and and uh, their psychologies and so forth. And Eastern, um, whatever, Eastern life uh, world, it's, it's a very different way of, a different 
a very different way. As much as Krishna consciousness is very different from Christianity, and it is, it's very, very, very different. We tend to pick out a few similarities and one of the reasons is because of our probably our un, even though we don't think of ourselves as Christians and we're not, we've been identified with certain aspects of it. It's one of the ploys, if you will, that Prabhupada used you know, the personalism and that you're an individual, and, uh, as opposed to monism, which resonates with Christianity. So it's a huge uh, undertaking on the part of someone like Prabhupada to try to translate and convey these. Eastern concepts, ideas, if you will. They're not really Eastern, we would call them transcendental, but they took their birth in this world on that that side. It's kind of like the difference between the left and the right brain almost within each person's uh, you know, hemisphere of the head. So to this idea that of anadi karma, for example, Talk about something that will be repugnant to a Christian sensibility. And uh, where's the freedom? Some souls were picked out, you know, to be eternally conditioned. Because again, this Mahavishnu is forever breathing in and out is the, is the idea. So the, those cycles are, have no beginning. So the souls that make that possible, being one of the principal constituents, matter being the other, of the world, have been there forever. And some went to Golok, some were immediately manifest from Baladeva, from Mahasankarshan, in Golok, or Vaikuntha, respectively. You know, what's the deal? It's unfair, immediately comes out, you know, unfair. And we find devotees rebel to this idea as well. But there, but again, I mean, Ours is a panentheistic. It is theistic and monistic at the same time. It's one and different at the same time. We like to identify with the difference, but it's as much monistic as it is theistic. So there is only one. So what's a question of fair? From the monistic side of it, you understand? The Bade. There's only Krishna. And Krishna's Shaktis, and they're his Shaktis. So what's the question of fair? There has to be, you know, you're going to be unfair to yourself. Krishna's not. <laughs> you might be, but there's there's, no, there's only one person, in other words, and he's he's just being what he is. And this is one aspect of it. Sometimes we can say, well, to be the savior, there needs to be a world. He's all things. So he's the savior. So this isn't go over that well often there's resistance to this but in the east then they won't have that same kind of resistance more more whether it be hinduism especially in advaita or buddhism there's more of a monistic sense there's more of a destiny there's more of uh, less of the kind of the rugged individual our individuality that we so much i often hear devotees like really jumping on the bandwagon of our individuality. And it makes me think that they don't really get it, that we're individual, and therefore the monism is, is, is not, it's not a qualified monism, it's a monism and a theism equally and simultaneously. But the, the, the difference is, is that um, 
by becoming one, if you will, with Krishna's will, he expresses himself differently through so many jivas to experience himself. That's what's called lila. And that individuality has nothing to do with our present uh, personality. And similarly, devotees use the impersonal term. There's the personal kind of abuse where they kind of think of themselves as a, in terms of their own individuality, which so much prided in the, in, in the West. The East is more naturally kind of monistic. And the, per, and the impersonal side, often we, we say, you know, he was pretty, he's pretty impersonal. This is a personal philosophy. He didn't say anything. He was, you know, pretty impersonal guy. Or That's not what we're talking about. It's this metaphysical concept of monism. It's not whether someone has a nice personality or they're a little, a little impersonal. It has nothing to do with what, what the terms uh, uh, are intended by the terms. You follow? <laughs> so, so, yeah, our answer to the predicament of the jiva, if you will, the evil of the world and so forth, is a, is a metaphysical answer. And um, it may not satisfy everyone in a practical sense. People see huge injustices in the world like now, you know, this the atrocities of the, of the in Cambodia again surfaced because one of the main guy they killed two million people over there, and you know, stretch of about forty five years. One of the main persons has who had been in jail asked to be acquitted at a certain point. He's now a born again Christian. He killed two million people. And there was a, has been a huge trial that's been going on, and it just ended. And, he, and they said he couldn't be acquitted, you know, so he'll be in jail the rest of his life. But, but at any rate, people see injustices like that: two million people killed, and they don't believe in God anymore. So to say to them, in other words, well, you see, God wanted to be the savior, and so. <laughs> um, it's not a very practical answer for them, but. Metaphysical answers are ultimately practical. They are telling us that our so-called practical and day-to-day real life, they're giving us a perspective on it that we would not have otherwise. This is the point of Shastra. A perspective that we would not have otherwise. This is the whole concept of revelation. That's why reason fails here, ultimately. And that will come up also in this uh, first verse. It does come up, dimahi. It's not about reasoning. The way of knowing is different. By absolute expressing itself in relation to us and then reciprocating in kind, appropriately. Dimahi, that is the the way to reciprocate meditation. Not outgoing, conquering, power of reasoning to capture everything. No. But to go kind of backwards, to cooperate (coughs) and... uh, participate, go within. Uh, so it's a different perspective and um, it doesn't speak very, um, in very flowery, uh, very very f- flowery words about the nature of our material situation. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. And that's important to note. That's uh, should be a provide us with a considerable negative impetus 
to change and to and to withdraw again to withdraw to meditate to go in means what what do we mean by that to that sense of my to, to shrink that back to stop from ex- extending ourselves into things on some level so we get to a level where we extend ourselves only into things enough as we need to to have the balance to pursue the life of sadhana some people will need a little more some people will need a little bit less some people need to control a little bit more have a little money in the pocket some people will like to be controlled more they don't they're not worrying about things like that they want to be taken care of <laughs> affectionately others more want to take care affectionately and so forth but so for different people, we'll find the, the balance. And, and what is that balance? Where I'm not troubled too much by material perceived necessities that I cannot practice, that I cannot do sadhana. So this should be our monitor, our gauge, the meter by which we determine the extent to which we have the um, we are justified in thinking of my and having attachments and and so forth. This this makes for a sadhaka deha. Then that's not a material body. And this is the generosity then of bhakti. Even he's acquiring, she's spending, and so forth. Only as much as necessary to do sadhana, and it would be one thing. And the sadhana is bhakti. Dimahi is in the plural. That's a plural meditation. It means kirtan. And kirtan in, in our sampradaya also means smarna because kirtan, smarna will be fostered. Meditation will be fostered naturally by kirtan. It will be supported by kirtan. Kirtana prabhave smarana svabhave. Famous poem of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. He got up from his meditation to emphasize his dynamic idea of kirtan. That idea of kirtan was to bring people within. Pujala raga patagoda babangai matala sadhujana kirtana vange. So to make a big mission, throw money at the deities, build a marble temple, and so forth. Keeping the ragmarg above that uh, high ideal, this, this, Sir, the bhakti of the inhabitants of Vrindavan in awe and reverence. Gaurava, that Gaurava, Bhangi Gaurava, will be crossed over by Hari Kirtan. Hari Kirtan engages everything, all the things that we keep in our heart, the things others have in their heart, taking it out. Give me the things in your heart. And someone told me, uh, spoke about me the other day sometime in the last month and said, well, he's always, you know, sannyasi shouldn't touch money. That's my opinion. This person said, shouldn't be touching money or deciding how it should be spent. (laughs) I I don't touch too much, I can tell you that, but when I do, it doesn't stay in my hands for long either. (laughs) I do spend it for Krishna. Prabhupada used to say, other swamis, they say, no, no, I do not touch money. And I say, ah, practice, I touch money and embrace. So such again is the strength of 
of bhakti. And again, itaratascha anbayad. We don't see the world as different from Krishna. Somehow separate. Uh, some separation, but some unity also. It's a panentheist. He's there. It's also him. It's only him. There's no other. We are also him. And I can imagine if I said that I am also Krishna. I am Krishna. In certain circles, they would drum me out. But uh, even we find it in Gopal Tapani, Ham Gopal, Ham Gopal. The recommendation for the sadhana, I am Gopal, I am Gopal. Of course, we've explained it in the Vaishnav context, but this is this is the context. There's the oneness and the difference are equal and simultaneous. So, he is the world, he is the efficient cause, he is the material cause. And at the same time, he is swarat, arteshu abhigna swarat. Abhigna means he is all-knowing. So all artas, all, all, all art, all things, all objects that come together and and disperse, uh, be and don't be. Uh, he's the knower of all of them. He understands the world, and he's independent from the world. Oran Bayad also said to mean a, a, a like imply a, a succession. So he is Janmadi, and it means he is the he is the origin. He enters the world as the as the primary cause through his through his glancing, setting it in motion. He enters into it as the as the ultimate sanctioner then of all the acts performed within it, maintenance, its sustenance, its its birth, its sustenance, and in the form of Shiva, he's the agent of destruction. So as a sequence and by Adi, he's the Janmadi and Adi means he's the source, he's the mate, he's the uh, destruction. Anbayad, so he's one with it, but Itaraha, he's different from it at the same time. He's one with it, he's different from it. Material world is his Shakti, he's different from it. And the implication is that uh, he has his own shakti, swarup shakti, and it will come up as we discuss. So, in this case, then, and by anvayad implying all three, the, the, the birth, the maintenance, and the annihilation of the world, itaraha speaks about another creation, the secondary creation of Brahma. And one may think that then he's not the cause of that. Brahma's the cause. In that sense, Brahma's the cause of the world. But no, tene Brahma, hridayadi kaviye, No, he gave the power to Brahma. Tene Brahma, adi kavi means Brahma. And Brahman here, Brahma means spirit, consciousness. Adi Kavi means the original poet, the original learned person. So many different interpretations of this verse will explain that original person to be, I've seen versions explain it to be Maitreya Muni, to be, to be Vyasadeva, to be Bharata Muni, 
the originator of, in this world of the Ras Shastra, the secular Rasa theory, and, and so forth. We're Brahma. So Brahma is one, one way to think about the Adika, the original person, original Kavi, learned person, from whom all the Vedas have expanded in the world and so forth. So that Adi Kavi was Tene Brahma, was injected with knowledge of, of, the, of the Brahman that's being described, infused with that. So, no, it's, he's a jiva. And the biggest of jivas, Muyanti Yatsuraya, they become bewildered by material nature. They cannot be its source. This is the idea. So as we go on here then, there's this distinguishing between the jiva and Brahman taking place in the verse. So you can see here why this whole verse is, 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 is a sambandha. We're getting an understanding of where the world comes from. The innate, its relationship with Bhagwan, how it's the effect, but it's, it, and the effect is in the cause, and causes in the effect and, and so on and so forth. How he's different from it. One with matter, he's different from matter. He's the, it's all someone again. He's the source of matter. Yeah, we big, bring out the biggest material person then, Brahma, to make an argument. What about Brahma? No, no matter how, no matter how big a material person is, he's smaller than than Brahman, than Satyam Param. He's different. And he, in order for him to function in the biggest way, what could be a bigger way than the creation, which is subject, which is the question. I thought Brahma was the creator. Wait a minute here. No. His power is, uh, is, is, is a derived power by which he does that. So if we look carefully, we see, no, no, Brahma is not the source of the world. Indeed, Brahma tried to find his own source by Dimahi. By meditation, he tried, it, and he was successful. He found a source, and that's what this talks about. Upon finding a source, Tene Brahma, Brahma was enlightened. And um, so, when Muyanti Yatsura, even the biggest of jivas, the gods, and so forth, are prone to confusion, and the Satyam Param that we are to meditate upon, Dimahi, is not prone to such such. He's completely independent and, and fully cognizant at all times. It means he never comes under the ignorance that the jivas do. But wait a minute. You are speaking of him. The question is here, arises, you Vaishnavas, as if he has form, if I am to trace this out, this Brahman has a form as Vishnu, as I said, or as Krishna. Mm -hmm. And the forms of this world, Brahman may know, but they're here today and know about them and be the source of them, but they're here today and gone tomorrow. So the question here as to the form of Bhagwan, which is a huge topic here in the, Bhag in the Bhagavatam, mm -hmm. in describing um, Brahman. And this verse, of course, can be explained to be speaking directly about Krishna and Krishna's pastimes and so on and so forth. We'll see if we get to that. But uh, at any rate, the idea of the form of the Lord comes into question in the Bhagavatam answers. Tejo yatra Just as sometimes people see water and they think it to be land, 
or you can see fire, heat, like when you're driving on the road and there's heat in the distance, it looks like there's water. So this is the nature of material life. Things are in flux. They're changing. It's magical. It's one thing at one point. It turns into something else. Our attachment to one thing turns into our, you know, our dream turns into our nightmare. Once we get it, and it turns against us and doesn't work for us in the way we thought. We still have to pay the bill for it and so so on. So the, the, the world is... Um, of things is like this. Tejo varimidam minimayo yatati sargo misha. But no, he's not undergoing those kinds of changes. When we say, what this part of the verse means in one sense is when we say, when the Shruti, when the Upanishads, when the Revelations say, he has no form, it means he has no form like those forms, which are like no forms because they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. He's not like that. He's not here today and gone tomorrow. No. He has a form of eternal uh, nature. And it will be known, Dhamna Svena Sada Nirasta Kuhakam Satyam Paramdimahi. It means Kuhakam Nirasta. Arguing about this is futile. Dhamna Svena Sada. Dhamna means, it, it, it speaks about his, his nature. He is effulgent, luminous. Svena, extraordinarily luminous, always. And uh, such that all argument against his position or, um, for example, others who take another position that the Lord is formless in a literal sense. This will be known, the idea is, by the power of the Surup Shakti appearing in the heart of the devotee in a way that logic cannot uh, afford us knowing. Kuakam here means like argument, logic, and so forth. It's saying this is not the way, but, but let him show that he said, let there be light, and there was light. So you know, I let you know, and you will know. And this is then more about the means that is being recommended to position ourselves in such a way that he may want to share knowledge about himself with us. This is the idea of bhakti. This is the sadhana. This is, these are the rules and the regulations we situate ourselves such to be attractive to him. Like I've said before, the, the positive flake, magnetic flake, and a big magnet will flake will be repelled. But if a negative flake is there, even at a distance, because the magnet is so big, it will be drawn in and stuck there. So this is dimahi and the capacity to meditate. This is important here. It's, it's coming from above. It's not like a forced concentration of the of of the mind. We should try, but but the power to arrest the mind in Mahaprabhu's mission it's coming from up uh, to down. Shudra Marsh once was sitting on a chair in his veranda. He had two places he would sit: one on a bed outside in a larger area, and around the corner on a smaller chair. 
with a smaller group. And he was speaking about how he at one point was chanting and he understood what the Bhagavatam is talking about when it speaks about the chariot coming and picking you up. You know, the statements like Vishnu will come on his chariot and grab you by the Sika and pull you on board and, and take you up. He said that basically I had the experience of a wholesale being taken up, like completely in, in, engulfed and totally coming from that side, taking me in, you know, something like that. He, he spoke, it was, he was in a chair and it was like it was about ready to take off when he was, when he was talking about it. And this will be our experience as we advance, too. We'll make an effort. We were talking about effort the other day in relation to mercy. We'll make an effort, but when the Lord chooses to reciprocate with us, it's oceanic. It's like we, we, we made an effort of a drop, and we've got an ocean of tidal wave in response. We don't feel like it's something I've done, I've earned. My, I'm on the strength of my power. We feel like, oh, it's... It's, uh, it's all it's all grace so so the and the, the and the knowing idea this idea of damnas you know it speaks about the nature of that place in Gita it says what natad bhashayate suryo nashashanko napabakaha Going there one never returns. The main topic of the verse is what? That it's luminous. There's no need of sunlight, moonlight, fire, that which is required to illuminate the world. There's no need of that. It's luminous. It's bright. Luminosity is is, is uh, compared then with, with 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 knowing, right? The lights are on. Somebody's home. There's there's something there. There's something going on. It's meaningful. The absence of ignorance. So naturally, once going there, one never returns. So it's the nature of the place, which is non-different from the person. Aradya Bhagavan Bhajeshatanayastha Dhamma Vrindavanam with relation to Krishna. Krishna and Vrindavan, one and the same. So this is another kind of existence, coming in touch with that through parampara and applying oneself in relation to, uh, through dimahi, for example, through a kirtan, affords us a kind of knowing that retires the need for argument, which is endless and inconclusive, tarko pratishtanat. Vishwanath Chakavitakur says that we should not there's a, there's a famous statement it's like this Tarko Pratishtan. What's that one from the Mahabharat? Um, Achinchikolo. Yojayat. Yeah. So that things that are inconceivable, Brahman, to the mind, concepts that we've been talking about, like Anadi Karma and, and so forth, and the, the transcendental form of God. He has no form, means his form, this is very interesting, his form is nothing like our form. We like to think, well, his form is like our form. We can make a statement like that, too. <laughs> Man is made in the image of God, they say. 
but we can make the argument to the opposite and perhaps a stronger one. And this is this is the argument that the Shrutis make that our form is nothing like God. Nothing like it. It's, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, it's made of it's uh, undergoes transformations, birth, growth, maturation, giving off product byproducts, dwindling, vanishing. His form is nothing like that. One of my disciples, I told the story before, you may have heard it, but he went home to visit his father. And, he's, and his father said, if you want something to eat, the refrigerator's full, you know, take, take whatever you want there. You know, I just stocked it up. So then he went and was making himself a big sandwich. And he put cheese and lettuce and tomato and avocado and sprouts and all such things. And his father walked in and said, hey, aren't you going to eat anything? Aren't you going to put anything on it? Because with that, in America, practically speaking, without eating meat, you haven't eaten. So he had meat and the his son was vegetarian. And, and he was looking at it and saying, that's not even food. I mean, that's like, you know, the food is the meat. Meanwhile, the son was looking at the refrigerator and saying, I don't see any food in there. Yeah. Got it stocked up, but... So, his form is not like ours. Shruti looks at our form and says, no, not like that. Get that out of your head. It's all very entirely different. There may be... You know, sometimes we say Krishna's human-like form. That just means that that that, that um, he gets close to us. He's, he's close to the human heart, where consciousness is starting to come to the surface. And there's a possibility to care, to do something voluntarily. We're somewhat out from underneath the force, the oppression of material nature. That's closer to him. In this world... The closest thing to Krishna is us. We can also say that, though we're very different. We're still the closest thing to him, both because we are units of consciousness and because we are humans. In that, human life affords consciousness the opportunity to come to the surface far more than any other form of life. In that sense, Krishna's human-like. He's pure consciousness, not matter. And human life the chance for this pure consciousness aspect of ourself, our real nature and being, is surfacing. He's like that, but not like this material body at all. No. And he won't be known by argument. This fact about him, which we learn from Scripture, that he has an eternal form, he is an eternal form, he is eternity, knowledge, and bliss, uh, in shape, in taking shape, the form of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. He is this, and Vishwana Chakvitakwa says, we should not try to understand that with reasoning. We should use our reasoning to understand the need for revelation, my point is, Shastra, and getting where, where there is a body of knowledge from which we can get knowledge that otherwise cannot be arrived at. The necessity for perfect knowledge, the logic of that is that we are steeped in imperfection, we want perfection, 
If the imperfect wants to be perfect, there will have to be a perfect way to do that. So it cannot come from imperfection, it must come from perfection side. So perfection offers a perfect way of knowing for the imperfect. That is called revelation. So we should use our reasoning, like for this, to be convinced about the necessity for a revelation and then the necessity for embracing the means described therein. And this is important, too, because in the Western world, people speak about revelation like the Bible or the New Testament or the Old Testament. And there it is, you know, that this is the story and this is what happened. And um, But it's kind of short on the means to demonstrate itself. Here in Bhagavatam, we get the, we get the idea and then we get the means to experience that also. We're not left just to believe in some dogma, but a means to also access that. And and we should be careful about that means in terms of our intelligence. Our intelligence is, is a help and it's a problem. It's material. So it's a dead thing. So we'll tend to want to make things dead like itself, to control things. So Bhagavan descends in the world in his eternal form if we want to approach that only with reasoning, we'll find that we make something less out of it than, than what it is. But if we understand the limits of reasoning, the problem with 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 making uh, putting reasoning on the throne, on the altar, then we have some some openness to revelation. We accept the means offered there. And we can understand things that cannot be understood by argument, by reasoning, by logic alone. And logic, I mean, what does it tell you? I mean, just because something's logical doesn't mean that it's true. By any means, by any stretch of the imagination. So, he says, Vishnu Chakri Thakur, that just like it's said, one should not have sex with another woman, another man's wife. In the, in the same way, one should not try to understand the form of the Lord with one, with one's reasoning power. It's a pretty strong statement. <laughs> he, he means do it with bhakti, with meditation, with kirtan. That's the way you will know. Intellect is like on the material hierarchy, the closest thing to the soul. So that's why if we insult someone's intellect, they'll be more upset than if we if we say. You're a little fat. They may, they may think, okay, well, whatever. You know. I didn't appreciate that, but whatever. But if we say you're less intelligent, man, there's a big argument there. Then people really want to fight about that. <laughs> right? So, because that intelligence is closer to ourself, actually, it's really quite a distance away. It's categorically different, but on the material hierarchy, intelligence is more refined, uh, more more subtle mind. Subtle. It's an organ through which consciousness, the most subtle thing, communicates with matter, gross matter, and then the world goes on. It never really touches matter. Through the mind, it communicates. Mind takes on a shape like consciousness. It's kind of like a glove, something like that. So, at any rate, no, with reasoning power, it wants to say, this is not the means. In a negative way, 
he wants to emphasize the same point that's being made positively here. Dimahi. This is the means. Going within. Not going without to conquer physically. Not going to go out to conquer mentally and intellectually. To rest, as Pujapachita Marsh would like to say, in the fist of our intellect. The absolute. So he, he will not show up in the court where he's on trial as to whether or not he exists. We have a trial to prove whether or not God exists. He's not going to show up there to prove himself. It's beneath him. There's beneath him. Or to speak of beneath God, there's beneath us, the self, consciousness. How will intelligence shed light on something that is superior to it, that it is but a shadow of? The shadow cannot cast light on, on light. So another means is required. And that's dhamna, that means the big light, the dham. From that side, from that, uh, and that dham is not different from himself, in other words, the luminous world, where there's no need for sunlight, moonlight, and so forth, and fire. That is, that is Matura Mando, where he, where he appears in the most prominent way on earth. Anyway, that is the general explanation of the first verse. Any question? I was trying to once again explain what bhakti is to my father and I talked about service and selflessness and he he replied something like, oh yes, so it's just like Christianity. You do charity and that's the highest ideal. And I couldn't quite find the right words to explain the difference to him. It seems that many Lutherans feel that charity is the highest form of Mm-hmm. Well, I think that one way to explain that, as I have at other times, is that when we talk about bhakti, we talk about giving and selflessness, but it implies that um, to, uh, it's implied that to give perfectly and selflessly, one must be unmotivated. And that this is complex, but as much as we identify ourselves with the body, with matter, we can't do that. Because that identification with matter has us in a kind of a compromised position where we feel that we have a need. Material nature, our identification with us, is imposing needs upon us. So, if you are not full, you can't really be selfless. If you try to act selflessly in that context, that's good. But you cannot do so comprehensively without coming out from underneath that which is driving you to take. Do you understand? Material nature is driving you to be on the take. So without coming out from underneath that misidentification, you cannot be a, a giver in the fullest sense. You can pursue the fullest of giving and so forth. Now, in that situation, identified with matter, we may want to give and be self-sacrificing 
and forego our selfish nature, overcome it, and so forth. So we may be given charity and um, build hospitals and so forth. But um, these are all ideas of the world itself with which I'm identified with. Um, so they're not the uh, appropriate or perfect, I should say, objects to which we can repose, in, in relation to which we can re repose our, our giving tendency. Like Prabhupada said, our giving tendency expands like a beam of light. Kind of, he meant like, we have a capacity to give that has no limit. We need an object then to repose that in that can take unlimitedly. And so that's what Bhakti's focused on. Perfect giving, which is selfless, which implies a kind of giving that causes us to come out from underneath the identification with the body entirely. That's called mukti. And it continues on, unmotivated from our side, in relation to the perfect object of love. So you need unmotivated giving, and you need the perfect object of love to give to. And that's what is meant by Krishna. So rather than giving in charity, we're giving to Krishna. And people are criticizing us. And people are going hungry, and you're giving to Krishna, building a temple. I don't know how well you'll be able to explain it to him, but... But uh, it's a little different than Christianity. Christianity is very worldly in its its orientation. Very simply, Christi Christianity's idea is that giving to the people is giving to God. Our idea is giving to God is giving to the people. When we give to the people and feed the hungry, we don't stop hunger. When we give to Krishna, we can stop hunger. Because why? That kind of giving will cause us to transcend, will afford us transcendence of the material predicament. So no matter how much you feed people, hunger won't stop. But if you feed them harikata, that'll put an end to hunger. Does that help? That may be a little easier way to go. Material giving is part of the, you know, it's just, it, it remains part of the problem. It's kind of part of the solution as much as give somewhere. That's a start. Okay, somewhere, but the where has to be improved. Another question? Yes. Uh, just a short question connected with the previous one. Can it be a uh, giving for charity? Can it be also seen at the beginning stages uh, improving the character? Some help with uh, at the beginning stage of bhakti to. Uh, improve our character, to become more kind to other people, and then gradually go beyond that? Well, I don't think we have to go beyond being kind to people. We should keep that in place. But um, according to our understanding, then we, we, should, we should give. And uh, there's no reason, however, why giving directly to Krishna won't improve your character. Why would, why would it be giving to the AIDS Foundation improve your character more than giving to Krishna. So, but but we should be kind to people. That's Jivadaya. Jivadoy, Krishna Nam, Sarvadharma, Dharma Sar. The essence of Dharma is to be kind to other Jivas and chant the holy name of Krishna. So,
being kind to jivas is, is within bhakti. It starts with being kind to yourself. You're a jiva. So chanting, that's doing real kindness to others. And we can do kindness to others in any way that the opportunity presents itself, as long as it doesn't take us out of the loop of bhakti. So in the context of our bhakti, there may be opportunities to help people on material levels, and certainly we do that. We don't think, that's your karma, too bad. No. So, but, but there, there is some place for working on one's personal character and, you know, trying to be a, have more integrity and be more honest and uh, take more responsibility for one's actions and so forth, that people may be out of balance in that regard and see that in themselves. And certainly Krishna Bhakti should bring that to light to some extent and, and we can make some effort to to change as it becomes clear to us that we need to change, prove our character. Does that help? Yeah. What else? Can you explain the concept of uh, beginning of soul? Because I heard uh, we have two concepts, like that one that we are eternal, we have no beginning, and uh, that we are fallen soul. We was uh, associated to Krishna, and because of uh, yeah. Well, I did touch on that, but to uh, reiterate for a moment, when we speak about the origin of the jiva, like I have, originating from Mahavishnu, the statements in the scriptures are in kind of like in, they're speaking about an eternal present. But here in this world, you know, we have to think about things in terms of beginnings. So that language is used. There is no beginning. That's why I say the world, the material universes that come and go, come and go, right? They expand and they contract, expand from Vishnu and they contract, right? You're familiar with that concept, right? This is compared to the breathing of Vishnu. So does Vishnu's breathing begin at any time? No. He's always alive, right? There's, is there any origin beginning to God? Is there a time when God did not exist? No. So is there a time when you did not exist? No. Is there a time when matter did not exist? No. Whatever exists, exists. Whatever does not exist, will not exist. That's the Upanishadic kind of dictum. So we're all better get used to one another. But... Um, we talk about it sometimes for the sake of getting a handle on it, that we come here, let's say, from there. That's a little easier. We're eternally somewhere. <laughs> no, it's a, uh, so there's an there's a eternally conditioned soul. It means a soul who is eternally, or, or I should say, beginninglessly, a soul that without any beginning in time is connected with Mahavishnu. Mahavishnu's Leela is always going on. So there are always souls, an infinite number of souls. I mean, there's no infinite number. So an infinity of souls that are participating in the Shristi Leela, the Leela of this expanding the universe and back, which is Mahavishnu's Leela. In Goloka, Baladev expands souls for Leela eternally 
We say expand, sounds like he started. I mean, for, he always does, and always will, and never stopped, and never began. <laughs> the manifestation of Baladev in, in Vaikuntha, which is another domain of reverential bhakti, from intimate bhakti to reverential bhakti, is Mahasankarshan. He expands souls there for that leela. And then his expansion is the Mahavishnu, the first incarnation, avatar that crosses down in, in relation, has some apparent relation to the material world, jurisdictional, by way of having jurisdiction over it directly. So he has souls too. Shakti. So he manifests the form of the Tathasta Shakti. For his Leela of the world, this manifesting, dreaming the world, he said the one desire to become many, right? Out of joy. He wanted to celebrate himself, Mahavishnu, so he became many. But because he has jurisdiction over material nature, when the many who are small came in with material, touch with material nature, it became a problem. So from the Mahavishnu, so many avatars come into the world, try to bring them back to meet their maker. This is a whole Leela, separate from Krishna Leela or Narayan's leelas in Vaikuntha. It's a kind of leela. And within the context of this leela is the opportunity through the avatar, the descent of the ba- of Bhagawan, through the Guru Parampara and so forth, through the scriptures, to come out and go to the Vaikuntha leela, go to the Golok leela. So the karma has no beginning, but it can come to an end by divine intervention. So the souls don't come from Krishna leela to here that are part of this world. They're part of Mahavishnu's Leela. And that Leela includes the opportunity for them to be saved from that predicament and go to meet their maker in Baikuntha or, as I say, in Goloka, by the grace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Does that help? Yeah. Radha Govinda ki jai. Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Gaur Bhaktivinda ki jai. Gaur Premanande. Hari Hari